You're listening to highlights from the Creative Process interview with Dr. Samuel S. Myers. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michals Foundation. And so there are a whole variety of ways in which human activity is disrupting and degrading our planet's natural systems. And that certainly includes climate change, but we're also driving the sixth mass extinction of life on earth with enormous biodiversity loss. We're driving pollution of air, water, and soil at a global scale. We're contending with resource scarcity, particular fresh water and arable land. It changes in land use and land cover. So really we're transforming and disrupting all of our natural systems at the fastest rates in the history of our species. And those changing systems are interacting with each other to affect really the foundational qualities for human health and well-being, the quality of air we breathe, the quality and quantity of food that we can produce, water quality, exposure to infectious diseases, exposure to extreme weather events, even the habitability of some of the places that we live. And as a result, we're starting to see larger and larger impacts across every dimension of human health from nutrition to infectious disease exposure, non-communicable diseases like heart disease and stroke and certain cancers, mental health effects and population displacement and conflict. So that's really the field of planetary health is really integrating the way our transformation of our planet's natural systems comes back to affect our own health and well-being. So when you ask, what do we do about it? Fundamentally, you know, this is upstream thinking. So if the scale collectively of human activity now exceeds our planet's capacity to absorb our waste or provide the resources that we're using sustainably, and therefore we're transforming nature, which is then threatening our own survival, The answer has to be to move all the way upstream and ask, how do we actually shrink our collective ecological footprint? And the way we do that is through deep, rapid structural changes in how we live on earth. And so certainly in terms of the climate system, you know, one aspect of what we call the great transition is shifting to a carbon-free energy economy, but We also need to transform our food system and become much more efficient in our use of ecological inputs to produce the food that we depend on. We need to embrace the circular economy and manufacturing so that we're more efficient in the way we produce goods. We need to rethink the design of our cities to optimize our mental and physical health, but to minimize our ecological footprint. So, and there's even a spiritual, emotional dimension to this and kind of rethinking our relationship to the natural world where there's been sort of a rupture in what's always been a a sort of recognition that we have a certain reverence or awe for, for the natural world, but somehow those that reverence has lost its authority in kind of guiding our decisions. And so how do we regenerate that? So there's really an enormous amount that we need to think about as part of the great transition. For me, it's not just a climate conversation. It's a planetary health 
broader conversation. And so even if we were able to transition in a decade to entirely zero carbon energy sources, miraculous and wonderful as that would be, it wouldn't solve our biodiversity problem. It wouldn't solve all of our pollution and resource scarcity problems. So there, there's a, th this deeper problem of just the scale of our net ecological footprint. But to your question, I don't think we can overemphasize how much hope there is here. There is an absolutely rich terrain of solutions across every dimension that I've talked about. You know, if you think about food systems, just the protein revolution that's taking place right now is so exciting to me. The fact that Burger King and McDonald's and these sort of fast food franchises that have enormous market share are selling vegetable-based burgers, not because they're trying to save the world, but because they've become so immensely popular. And we're able to create synthetic milk and eggs out of proteins that are identical, literally the identical amino acid sequence of protein and eggs from chickens and cows using protein fermentation processes. And that there are ways that we can essentially replace all of animal livestock effectively and still have foods that for most consumers taste as good or better than what you would get from a livestock source. And when you think about that and you recognize that right now, 40% of the entire terrestrial land surface of the planet is dedicated to croplands or pasture. Of that, most of it is pasture for livestock. And of the croplands, most of the croplands are producing grain to feed the livestock. And so if you got rid of livestock agriculture as a central part of feeding human beings, you could free up an enormous share of the terrestrial land service for the rest of biodiversity. So that's just one small example of something that's happening really quickly right now. And that's a very rapidly expanding sector of the food economy. There's a huge amount to be done in sustainable intensification of food production. So apart from that, you know, thinking about precision agriculture, thinking about agroecological approaches. So in the food system space, there are enormous efficiencies that can be realized that we already understand how to do and that are already underway. We've talked about renewable energy. Certainly that's happening really quickly. Whether it will happen in 10 years, we can argue about that, but it is happening really quickly in the decade that ended in 2010, a third of new energy production and the same thing for circular economy, for urban design and building cities that are being built instead of building them around automobiles and building them around bike lanes and walking and greener cities. So there really are a lot of things to do. And I think this idea of an aspirational future is one that our community, the environmental community has been way too slow to understand its importance that I think the environmental community has been guilty of a lot of catastrophism, a lot of statements like game over for the planet. And we've painted a lot of very dark pictures about where we're going. But when you look across these different sectors and all of the solutions that are out there, 
there's no reason to believe that our grandchildren couldn't live in an incredibly exciting world, in a world where you know, human population is right now starting to stabilize, and it's actually going to start trending down just as a result of key demographic trends, as a result of educating girls and providing economic opportunities for women and access to contraception for couples who want it. And we're already seeing that, that flattening and bending of the curve on human population. And so it's really all about what we decide to do over the next sort of 20 years. And there couldn't be a more sort of exciting and fascinating time to be alive to really try to address these challenges because we're in the middle of just this, this enormous drama. So it's important to recognize what's at stake, but not to be sort of despairing about it, but to sort of roll up our sleeves and really see if we can move the world in the direction that we need to go. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.